Welcome to the London Horror Movie Club, where each episode I try to convince you to watch one of the weird, wild, and wonderful horror films set in London. Season 2 is all about terror on the underground. Time is relative. We made up the length of the day, the seconds, minutes, and hours. Time passes, but how we perceive it, how we experience it, and its effects are all relative. That never feels truer than when we're on the London Underground. A train journey of 30 minutes can happen in a flash. A wait on the platform of 5 minutes can seem like hours. You cannot see the sun rise or set or the moon move across the sky as you sit on the platforms. If stuck on the underground, you have no real way to tell the passing of time without a clock or a watch. Sure, trains come and they go, but how many and how fast? And how long have you really been waiting? And yet there is a strange sense of time and regularity to the action of traveling on the underground. As trains zoom by, you see each car flit past in its discreet interval box like little chunks of time, moments that flick past your face, people passing in and out of frame. It could easily be the individual slides of a film, together strung to create an illusion of time passing, life passing. And inside each car, life is going on. Trains come, they go, we stand, we sit, we read. They seem to travel at a consistent speed, that is, until they're delayed. All the trains are is motion and time. A surreal, lost world where life and time and movement blend into one so it's impossible to tell time and you can so easily watch it pass. The strange warping of life and time on the underground is made even more surreal by the story of past lives at the heart of this episode's film, the underrated 2007 horror The Deaths of Ian Stone. In this film, a young man, Ian, dies only to wake up in the middle of a new life with a new name and then dies yet again. He's given very little time to understand why he's reborn, why he keeps dying, and why some of the same people seem to reappear in each of his new lives, seemingly unaware that anything is happening. This film definitely is a deep cut, so I'm going to focus a bit more on introducing the film in this episode, because I think it is worth hunting down. Now, neither the writer nor director made many other films, and the film was limited release, but it still made waves at the 2007 After Dark Horror Festival, and it was nominated for a Saturn Award. It otherwise went relatively unnoticed, which is somewhat surprising when you consider the cast. This includes the prolific London-born actress Christina Cole, mesmerizing Jamie Murray, who went on to be Carmilla in Castlevania, and Mike Vogel, who had already appeared in the 2003 Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake and in the hit film The Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants. These three actors have a very long-standing career and are probably somebody you would recognize even if you weren't entirely sure where you'd seen them before. The acting certainly shines, but it's the story itself, a solid mix of fantasy, mystery, and horror, that I think really makes the film worthwhile. As I said, and I'll go in a bit deeper in the description now, the audience follows this average American man who we're first introduced to as Ian when he's playing hockey and he heads home when he's in Canada or the US, you can't quite tell, my guess would be Canada, only to be hit by a car. And then, bam, he wakes up and finds himself alive, living in London, working at a bank. 
I've given nothing away. These are the first few scenes of the film. Now, he seems to be the only one who's noticed this change. He seems the only one who remembers he had another life and that he's waking up literally in the middle, or well, at the very least 20-some-odd years in, to this life. Everyone around him speaks as if they know him. They're calling him by a different name, and he's trying to get a grip on which reality is his. When he notices a woman in the office was his girlfriend in the previous life. Now, panic sets in, and before he can actually understand what's going on, he's killed again. And he wakes up once more in a new life with a new name. And so this is the cycle of the film. These many deaths of Ian Stone seem to have nothing in common except this familiar, attractive woman we met as Jenny in his first life, who never remembers him. As you can guess, at the core of this film is the love story between these two. But the tension and the mystery are what drive the film. We may be invested in their love to a degree, and there is a sort of lovely chemistry, but the audience, or at least myself, is more caught up in joining Ian in the race to understand why he keeps waking up in a new life, and why he's always being killed, and later, who's trying to kill him. It's less interesting, I think, to sort of see certain new lives develop, but at the same time, it's important to get those little sort of starting moments. So there are some some pacing issues when you're trying to get used to these new lives, but I think it's well worth holding through. And actually, overall, the film is really well done because it does give you that good balance of him trying to figure things out at what is a very realistic pace, probably a bit slower than, than maybe sort of standard action films, let's say, but that suits horror because that slowness gives a sense of eeriness. It lets us feel almost that gothic sense of creepy environment into each of these new lives, which are in any other way unremarkable. Horror films are also known for doing great things with a low budget, and in that respect, The Deaths of Ian Stone is on par with most films. I don't want to give away the ending, but a supernatural element starts to become visible in his time in London and his lives in London, and the special effects are put to very good use in what is otherwise a film shot in relatively straightforward realism. The contrast makes the horror more fantastical, and it helps that the pacing of the film continues to build as each new world unravels. Perhaps it's exactly this fantasy element, but I found the direction and special effects reminded me of Clive Barker. I'm going out on a limb with this because the evil elements of the film certainly fit with the millennium. In fact, I, I could argue it borrows stylistically from things like The Matrix, but my gut response was that it reminded me of Barker. Perhaps it's just that blend of the surreal with the mundane, or perhaps it's that, that almost tangible sense of the average of London on film. It doesn't try to dress the city or its people up, but I, I think, and, and please feel free to tell me if I'm actually wrong about this, but I think if you liked Hellraiser, you'll probably enjoy this film. Now, following on with this sense of realism, the film does have some gory moments. It does have a few, but they are relatively rare, relying instead on the horror of the surreal, on jump scares, on a very strong and enduring tension, and sometimes the sort of uh, loot and bust surprising deaths of Ian. So it's a horror with a lot of thought put into it, focused on twisting your emotions and the emotions of the characters in the film. Desperation, fear, and panic are the buzzwords over any kind of bodily horror, so if that's your style of horror, I'd say definitely go for this one. All of these wonderful things being said, I'm not trying to claim the film is a hidden masterpiece. It, there are flaws. I, I found the soundtrack didn't quite fit with the film, and there are some moments that feel a bit overly cliché. 
But I think the love story at the heart of it is is very familiar. On and so that the the sort of overlays of cliche maybe are expected, and it's also done with with a certain level of of finesse. It becomes more intricate and interesting as the story goes on. The real make or break of whether you'll enjoy this film is honestly how willing you are to dive into fantasy. So if you like your ghosts more suggested and your horror more psychological, this might not be for you. You might see that as a downfall of this film because the payoff is definitely pure fantasy. And in that respect, I think the film was actually very much of its time. This came out two years after Constantine in the same year as Gabriel. And though this isn't a religious film, it really fits with that view of the world, something surreal coming in to almost save people. There's there's a, a sense of a higher power in a very different way that manipulates the lives of people. And there's a very heavy interjection of supernatural and this sense of good and evil. It's definitely something that, that I think can appeal throughout horror. This has always been a sort of horror story that's going on, good versus evil in its extreme ways, but some people might find that a flaw in the film. I know some people who watch it that I've recommended to that say, oh, you know, I wish it, I wish it just stuck more with reality. And so I will give you that warning ahead of time. For me, that didn't detract from the film, and I would say it's a solid four stars. It really should be better known than it is. It is a, a good, well-put-together, yes, fantasy, but horror film. Now, if you're going to watch it before finishing this podcast, I should say it's a little hard to find online here in the UK. US listeners can find it on Apple TV, Amazon Prime, and Google Play. But here in the UK, I was only able to find a low-quality version of the film on YouTube. That might not bother you, but I ended up getting the DVD, which, to be fair, was the same price as a rental cost on Amazon, so relatively affordable, but you'd have to be an old hat like me who grew up with a DVD player. Um, <laughs> anyway, I, I hope this, this introduction, sort of hitting some of the highlights and explaining the film and some of its strengths and some of its weaknesses, has encouraged you to check this film out. And if you don't want any spoilers, I would stop the podcast now and go and watch it. Otherwise, I will move on to why this film is in the London Underground movie club list. So the film doesn't rely on the London Underground, absolutely. But like in the last episode, there are key moments that happen there. And there's really two in this film. The first is a moment of escape. And escape and the underground definitely are tied together. And so is time, which is what I started this episode with. So the first moment, Ian discovers that harvesters, uh, who are the supernatural beings in the film, have been chasing Jenny and himself and that they feed off of the moment of fear before death. So what they do is they put people through the cycle of life over and over again in order to feed off the energy of their death. And Ian's running from them with Jenny, and he jumps on the tube to escape them. It's the movement and dislocation of the underground that mean harvesters can't sort of lock on to his location. And so here they get a space and a, a section of time where they don't have to be running. It alters the pace of the film briefly, it gives us a nice respite, and it also gives you this sense of, of how important the underground is as, as something that's below the city. He's below the radar, they're literally below the city, they're off the grid, you know, it, on, on the underground if you try to get um, Wi-Fi. This wasn't an issue at the time, but if you tried to get Wi-Fi on the, on the underground now, you do get a sense sometimes you are off the grid. And and I like that the, the way they use that underground sorry, the underground, is very similar to, to the reality of the underground. You are sort of somewhere else and in a displaced time, and they can't reach him because of all of these things that we are familiar of with the underground. It is 
like being outside of the city almost. Now, also, the the underground is a place of secrets because it's in this scene that Ian learns why the harvesters are chasing him and he discovers about his past lives. And so the underground also has things that are hidden and that's that we've seen in other films. There's something about the underground, about being what's underneath that has the truth to it. You know, think about 28 Dates Later, for example. And so this is using some of, some of the great history of London horror, history of the underground horror moments to, to make the film more interesting to draw on things we're already familiar with about the underground and yet at the same time it adds this interesting element of being outside of time and that's something that's important in the film anyway because time's so relative because of his lives and this in affinity between time and the underground is displayed literally the second time we see the underground. So Ian at this point in the film has figured out how to jump through his past lives and get into what is supposedly reality. And so he jumps through the various storylines he's died in. And as he leaps across, there is a flashing background of scenes and you get pieces of the other lives interspersed with the image of tube cars passing in a light and dark tunnel. This visual spectacle also connects the train with the passing of time and emphasizes this sense of movement and it makes a very direct connection between the feeling of, of these moments he had on the underground as the through line through everything. This is when he figures out the truth. This is when he's able to escape them. And now as he jumps through these times, he's escaping them in another way and he's getting to the truth of things. And, and so it's a really wonderful moment where the the train is like life, and the lives that Ian goes with move across the various planes he's existed in in a sort of parallel of a train. If you think about the, the tube trains, each individual car could be one of Ian's lives, and he's moving through all of them. So it, it isn't a huge moment. It lasts, I mean, certainly less than a minute, maybe 10, 15 seconds, but it's a really strong visual moment, and I, I remember just sort of, I don't know, it made me smile. I remember being really impacted by it. It wasn't that it was a deep emotional moment, but I thought, yeah, yeah, I get what's going on here. I like that visual. It works for me. And overall, the underground is a surprisingly potent metaphor for life and a visual symbol throughout the film. It not only protects him from the harvesters, it protects him from time, from being found. He can move through the parts of the film via the tube and ultimately save himself and Jenny because of his little moments traveling on the tube or going through the tube cars. So in this film, the tube is also a really safe place because of its mobility and its constantly shifting, changing flow with time. And I quite like this film for that because it's so different from all of the other times we've been talking about horror. We are on episode seven, and in each of the previous ones, the tube's dangerous. And I, I, we get it. I totally understand that. I have moments where the tube feels sort of threatening and you're deep underground and oh my gosh, what if it collapses? And all these things you can think about, you know, falling on the train lines. There is an inherent danger to the underground. So it was, it was sort of refreshing and exciting when I came across this film that found safety and hope and promise in the underground, even through the weirdest effects that it can have, this sort of warping of, of feeling like you're in another world, another time, another life when you're beneath the city. And I think there's something really worth watching in that alone. If you are getting into this idea of the, what is the underground in horror with me, and if I've convinced you it's interesting to watch these kinds of movies, this is an exception to the rule. This is the film where the underground is almost a hero, or it allows the the possibility for safety and save salvation and saviors and all of these wonderful things. So it sort of is heroic. And that jump across lives that I've just been talking about is also my favorite moment of the film. Uh, and so I really should just, just end it here because you have a good sense of what that moment is. I think I've described well that it gives you this very different sense of the underground. And it, it also highlights 
the, the reality of when you're down there, you're separate from the world. But it is a liminal space. It's a space where we move, where we pass through things, just like Ian passes through things. And I, I am now going to start repeating myself, so I will, I will stop. But as someone who loves London and the underground, I couldn't have expressed the, the feeling of movement and time in the underground better than that 10 seconds of film. So I think it's absolutely worth watching. Thank you so much for listening. I do hope you enjoy or enjoyed watching The Deaths of Ian Stone and that it makes you feel cozy when you next ride in the London Underground, like the secret to life is just around the corner. I'm Lauren Jane Barnett, and this is the London Horror Movie Club. Music